Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. Immigration has been one of the defining issues in our country for decades, or centuries really. But this moment in immigration policy, at least in modern times, feels different for a lot of people. And the number of proposed changes to the system can feel overwhelming. It can be hard to keep up. Now to the roiling debate in this country over immigration. There is fear and dread in some immigrant communities tonight. Now we must implement an immigration system that will allow our citizens to prosper for generations to come. I cannot begin to describe how frightened, how terrified uh, immigrants in immigrant uh, communities are right now. There have always been a lot of different perspectives on our country's approach to immigration, but under the current administration, immigration policy is shifting especially fast. Changing the rules of the game impacts how people come to the U.S. and become citizens, but it also has impacts on the immigrant families already here. In this episode, we're going to take a bite out of the immigration policy elephant and focus in on just one potential change to the system. It's called the public charge rule, and it could have huge effects on who gets the chance to walk down the path to U.S. citizenship and who doesn't. We'll look at how just the possibility of this new rule has changed the daily lives of immigrant communities, and we hope you come away learning as much as we did. But to start, let's zoom way out with a more basic question. At a high level, what does our immigration picture look like right now? So the immigrant admission system is really complicated. There are hundreds of different visas, and that's why you need to be an immigration lawyer to really understand it. Part of the reason the immigration system and what's on the news right now is so complicated is that there's lots of different ways to enter. (laughs) And a lot of the focus in the last year or two has been on sort of unregulated entry through the border. But there's a lot of very regulated, lots of people putting in applications and waiting in long lines and waiting for their turn. That's Hamatal Bernstein, a senior researcher here at Urban who studies immigration policy. You know, at the core, the U.S. is is a country of immigrants. We have a high per capita immigrant population. Overall, we're, you know, 13 or 14 percent of the population in the U.S. is foreign-born. And a lot of that foreign-born population has been here a very long time. Like about half of those people are naturalized citizens, which means they've been here a long time. They've passed tests. They've paid for the citizenship application. But before you get to be a citizen, you can either be a temporary visa holder that then becomes a a permanent or green card holder, or you can enter as on the permanent path, which is a green card. So there are a lot of immigration channels that flow into the country. Another factor that can complicate this picture, though, is that families are often made up of members with different statuses. The work that we've been thinking about is really thinking about this concept of immigrant families, where a family can include one foreign-born person or more, and often a family includes a whole range of these immigration and citizenship statuses. So a parent can be foreign-born, but children who are born here in the U.S., they're U.S.-born citizens. 
the parent or the spouse or the other relative could be have a green card already, could be naturalized, or could be on a temporary visa. So you've got all these different combinations within families. Why is this important? Well, these combinations within families mean that changing policies can have ripple effects for individuals with different immigration statuses. I think what it means is that immigration policies that are targeted at one of these groups and, you know, most of the things we've been seeing in the news are not focused on naturalized citizens, right? They're not focused on people who have green cards already. They're focused at people who aren't, haven't already established that foothold. But when you have family members who have those more vulnerable statuses, whether it's your mom or it's your uncle or your brother that's going to have an effect on you no matter what your your status is. And so we're seeing lots of evidence that policies that are targeted at specific groups are actually having these sort of ripple effects across the board in these immigrant families, in part because people are making decisions and assessing risks, you know, in view of their family relationships. And those family relationships can be in the household or it can be in a different household, too. You know, people have extended families in other households. For the past year, Hamatal and colleagues at Urban have been researching a new regulatory change to a rule called public charge. You may have heard a bit about the public charge rule on the news recently. The Trump administration is announcing new rules that could make it more difficult for lower income immigrants to get legal residency. The new so-called public charge rule will affect hundreds of thousands of legal immigrants. Throughout our history, self-reliance has been a core principle in America to ensure that our immigration system is uh, bringing people to join us as American citizens, as legal permanent residents first, uh, who can stand on their own two feet. So what is this public charge rule exactly? Here's Hamatal again. So public charge has sort of been on the books for a while. And the idea is that when people apply for a green card or a temporary visa, the government wants to make sure that they're not admitting someone who's going to rely primarily on public assistance, So the definition of public charge means anyone that might become a charge or, in other words, a responsibility of the government to support. The rule has been around for a while. There's actually been language in the U.S. code on it for over a century. But Hamatal says that until recently, few people were actually deemed public charge each year. In practice, there was an extremely high bar to be considered to be a public charge when applying for your green card. The focus was on total reliance on cash assistance or long-term and like institutionalized medical care. So the bar was very high and there weren't many people who were not admitted because of a public charge reason. And so the proposed rule radically changed how public charge would be implemented and really lower the bar to determining whether an applicant would be likely to become a public charge, would be likely to rely on public assistance. The proposed rule lays out a much wider range of benefits that would be considered in a public charge determination, including non-cash benefits, 
So until recently, it was rare to be designated a public charge. But now the Trump administration has undertaken a drastic expansion of who would fall under this category. And the new rule is incredibly detailed and specific, like 900 pages long. And it adds in many new factors for public charge consideration. Prior receipt of Medicaid, food stamps, Section 8 housing assistance, public housing or subsidies for drug benefits would all now be considered in a public charge determination. And also, in addition to benefits receipt, a whole bunch of characteristics, things like low income, the number of dependents in the family, limited English proficiency, educational attainment, health conditions, all of these things would also be looked at and potentially factored negatively for a public charge determination. The proposed new public charge rule emerged last fall, and the final rule was just released, though it hasn't actually taken effect yet. Here's urban researcher Dulce Gonzalez on the current state of play. So the final rule was finally published on August 14th of this year. The final rule should go into effect on October 15th, and that's one option, one path is that goes into effect and we're in this period where, you know, public charge determinations are made as stated in the rule. Second path would be that litigation currently pending is successful in delaying the implementation or potentially stopping the implementation of the rule. The final rule will make it a lot more difficult for low and moderate income immigrants to become green card holders or permanent residents. So this has strong implications for well-being of immigrants, and it'll be important to track and monitor. The rule hasn't been put in place yet, and there's still a possibility that it won't be implemented. But that doesn't mean that the threat of the rule is not already having an impact. Over the past year, Hamatal, Dulce, and other urban colleagues have been tracking how news and information about this potential change to the public charge rule is already affecting the behavior of immigrant communities. What we found in some original data collection that we conducted in December of last year, so we were able to collect some survey data of a national sample of these immigrant families. And we found that there is quite a high rate of reported chilling effects. And by that, we mean families choosing not to participate or dropping out of non-cash benefits programs like Medicaid, food stamps, or housing assistance. So the chilling effect of a law that has not even taken effect yet is already changing families' participation in key public social programs. And it's not a small number of families feeling this chill. We were able to provide some of the first kind of national data. And what we found was one out of seven adults in immigrant families reporting that they or a family member had not participated in in one of these non-cash benefits programs in 2018 for fear of risking a green card status. And this was worse in low-income families. One out of five low-income families uh, reported these sort of chilling effects. And according to our survey results, you know, just under half of these families that were reporting these effects had stopped participating in food stamps, slightly lower, 42%, Medicaid or CHIP, and then about a third of housing assistance. And it's really important to note here that a lot of people dropping out of these programs wouldn't even be impacted by the public charge rule. Here's Dulce. 
And there's also the matter of spillover effects, because not only are you seeing immigrants who are would be affected by the rule who are chill, being chilled from these programs, but also um, immigrants who theoretically aren't. So, for example, naturalized citizens or green card holders might be dropping out of these programs because they're all the context around the rule and the confusion and misinformation. But in reality, they might actually be eligible and they're dropping out of these programs. And that has implications for long-term and and short-term health and well-being. But it's more than families dropping out of public programs. The research also showed that in the current immigration climate, people are making big changes to their everyday routines. So respondents were asked about visiting a doctor, talking with teachers, using public transportation, driving a car, talking to police or reporting crime, going to public places, or applying for a driver's license. We found that about one in six adults in immigrant families reported that they or a family member had avoided one or more of these activities in 2018. And the activities that were avoided the most were those that risk interaction with police or other public authorities. So 10% of adults reported avoided driving a car, 9% renewing or applying for a driver's license, and 8% talking to police or reporting a crime. So what are the ramifications of this? If people aren't engaging in those regular activities, like, why does that matter? Well, it matters because this sort of widespread fear is not good for a community. It's not good for the immigrant families, but it's also not good for the broader community. You know, if if you're afraid to drive your car or go in public spaces, you're not going to be able to get to work. You're not going to bring your kids to school. You're not going to be able to access the most basic services. If you're not talking to police and reporting crime, I don't think anyone, you know, wants those that kind of happening in their community. The point is that there can be ripple effects for immigrant communities and the rest of our society as well. And one of the major challenges then is to educate immigrant communities about how it might and might not impact them. It's a big educational informational challenge because there's a whole lot of organized effort to educate the public, to educate, you know, local and state policymakers and stakeholders about the risks that immigrant families are facing how to reassure them and encourage them to still partake in programs for which they are eligible. You know, I mentioned how long that rule is and how complicated it is, hundreds of pages long. There's just a lot of complexity to the rule to weed through. There's a lot of complexity like about different immigration statuses, who's eligible for this and what's inside of a family that are really difficult things that for, you know, for advocates and service providers to try to understand so that they can provide <laughs> the best informed and effective guidance to immigrants that come to them on the ground and, and want advice. This education challenge is something that Maria Gomez is thinking about every single day. Maria is the president and CEO of Mary Center, which provides health and other services to thousands of families in the D.C. area. And the idea is for Mary Center to make sure that um, children are born when the families are ready to have their children and are not able and capable, support them through social services that, that we have, and then move them up the economic ladder through education and uh, workforce development. Maria has been at Mary Center for three decades, and they basically serve everyone who walk through their doors. And a lot of their clients are immigrants. 
close to 65 to 70% of the population are immigrants from all over the world with, of those 70% immigrants, probably, I would say probably about 50% or 60% of those, those are, are from Latin America, uh, primarily Central America. And whenever there is a disturbance of any kind in the world, we, we get them. We got people here from Bangladesh uh, that are in our two-generation program, learning skills to getting healthcare. We got people here from Croatia, got people here from Russia. So we got people here from all over the world in every country and literally every country in Africa and South America and Central America. Maria has observed firsthand how the public charge rule and the current immigration policy climate are impacting her clients. And she's seen some of the dropout that Hamatal talked about when it comes to public programs. So I think they're, they're, they're concerned about that. And so they're sticking with, but they're very scared. Should I stay on Medicaid or shouldn't I stay, you know? There's um, food programs like the kind of the food program, food stamps for children that is given to children who are born here, whose parents are saying, you know, I don't know if I want to stay on it. Let me just say it. And this is supplemental food that really puts food on the table for families that are really having a hard time. You know, from a public health perspective, they're very, very dangerous. And those people need to understand how dangerous it is to ask a family not to immunize their children, not to feed their children properly. If if people really care about the well-being of those children, those children need the nutrition, they need the health care, they need the love, and they need the they need parents to be in the moment, in the present with their children and not worried about this nonsense to be able to for children to learn. Maria says the public charge rule and the current immigration climate is already reverberating out across communities, families, and kids in particular. And so if we if we really care about the next generation, we need to look at that because the fact of the matter is that this kind of chaos where parents are worried about whether they're going to stay here or not, what are we going to do with our child if we're deported or if this or that, that bears heavy on a child. We see it every day and every day at the center in terms of what the mental health of children. They're scared. They're scared that the parents are going to leave them. They're scared that, that they're going to go to jail. They're, you know, they're scared that the parents will go to jail. They're scared that they lose their home. So those children are very paranoid. Those children are legal residents and they're, they're citizens. They were born here, but they're now hearing that, that I got, we got to find another home. And for Maria, this is incredibly personal. Maria is an immigrant herself and someone who has truly returned the gift of U.S. citizenship in multitudes and across decades. In fact, in 2012, she was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal, the nation's second highest civilian honor. Here she is with some closing thoughts. As I told you, um, Justin, I, I, I came here as a teenager a long time ago. Uh, I'm old. <laughs> and I, um, this is my country. And, um, this is my country. Um, I believe so deeply in um, what this country has offered me. And has offered so many of us that are now citizens. Um, I would have never, never in a lifetime be doing what I'm doing if I had stayed in Colombia. I was the wrong class. I had the wrong name. Didn't have the money. Um, and so um, what keeps me um, at Mary Center, what keeps me... Um, faithful to almost 
the 700 people that work for Mary Center makes me work hard. And why I'm here with you today is because uh, I know what America can be. I know what America has been. Um, And I'm going to fight to make sure that this America that I know continues to be the same for the next for a lifetime. So that's and that's what I ask each and every one is to to um, no matter what side of the of the of the political piece you're on, it doesn't really matter. But what's happening right now is not the America we know. And this war out on immigrants is a war out on our our great grandfathers or your great grandfathers. We're not born here, but the America that has been here for generations, for every one of of you who are listening, if your parents, your grandparents, or great-grandparents, or great-grandparents weren't able to come here, what would be your life circumstances? You know, where would you be today? And um, I just think we need to we need to continue to believe that that this country is the land of opportunity and that there is the opportunity here for everyone who wants it and who works hard. Um, um, whether you've been here, you know, for generations, whether you were brought here by, uh, with, you know, by slavery, or whether you were brought here by a plane or, or you crossed the border, um, um, I think that there is an opportunity in this country and there's the resources and we all can be part of continuing to make this a better country. As always, we'll close with some key takeaways. Here are three things you need to know. One, the public charge rule is a policy that's been around for a while, but the current administration has undertaken a drastic expansion of the rule, expanding the range of factors that will be considered on whether people will get on the pathway to citizenship. Two, the expanded public charge rule has not been implemented yet. It's slated to go into effect in October, but could be held up by legal challenges. Three, the confusion and fear surrounding public charge over the past year is already having an impact. Immigrant families are withdrawing from public programs like food stamps, Medicaid, and housing assistance, and even avoiding things like driving and reporting crime. These types of behavioral changes can have deep effects on the health and well-being of communities. So, that's our show. Big thank you to Maria Gomez for talking with us. You can learn more about Mary Center at www.marycenter.org. Thanks also to Hamatal Bernstein and Dulce Gonzalez. You can learn more about Urban's research on public charge by visiting www.urban.org or check out the show notes. And if you like the show, please rate on iTunes. We would love your help getting up to 200 ratings, and they can really matter in helping others find the show. And finally, thanks to our Critical Value crew, Katie Smith, Jacinth Jones, Katie Villarreal, and Dave Connell. And props, as always, to our sound editor, Riley Byrne from Podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner signing off.